Well, hey there. Good morning, Anthem Church. Uh, Joshua Lewis here. Um, I know that many of you may not know me. I, I know a lot of you. I've been around uh, many times with Anthem Ventura. Uh, but if you don't know me, uh, I am the pastor at Anthem Church in Denver, Colorado. Um, and it's great to be with you this morning. I, I know that some of you are actually gathered in a backyard uh, or on Zoom um, or in someone's home. Uh, and I just want to say I, I'm really stoked that you're with us. Uh, this is a really cool opportunity for me to be teaching you uh, a really cool thing that, um, that we collaborate around uh, teaching and the scriptures. And um, I, I love you from afar. You are uh, one of us. I consider you a part of my family. And so just know that I'm praying for you and love you and excited to be teaching from uh, the Bible this morning. And so with that, uh, make sure that you have a Bible open to uh, the Gospel of John chapter 3. As I just mentioned, I'm a pastor. Pastor in Denver, Colorado, we love our church community. Uh, it is both pain and privilege. Uh, it has moments of being incredibly challenging, uh, but moments that are, are so fun. Uh, we, we totally love it. My, my kids seem to really love it, I think. I um, hope we're not damaging them like many pastor's kids are damaged. Uh, but um, it's, it's been a wild ride so far. And I, today I just wanted to mention that I, I've noticed something uh, about myself recently with relation to me being a pastor. I take my work very personally. When I, when I give myself to something like this, this kind of work that I'm doing, um, I really want to see change uh, and transformation in the lives of the people that we're working with. I, I want to see, I, and I'm noticing this in myself, I want to see that what I'm doing is producing something uh, of, of depth in, in the lives of people. And I think this is good. This is, in many ways, what you would want out of a pastor, right? I mean, I hope you want that out of a pastor. A pastor that wants to see real things happening in, in their church. I want to see people conquer their addiction. I want to see our church, this has been my prayer recently, uh, take on homelessness in our city. And for us to really carry that as a weight, that it's something that we want to see um, change, that there would be homeless people uh, brought in, into a, a better place, into to more health, that we would have an impact on all of that. Um, these are good things. These are healthy things. I mean, you actually, you want a pastor to want these things, but I'm realizing um, that there's possibly this place within me where I am sometimes competing with the work of Jesus. I'm not necessarily letting Jesus do his work, letting Jesus do his thing, which, which he is best at. I can actually become obsessed with, with trying to prove that I'm doing a great job. Look at me. Don't you all see how hard I'm working? Don't you see this incredible job I'm doing? And, I, and really, secretly, within my heart, I want some praise. Or at least just like a, a, an attaboy. Or, or, hey man, good word. There's moments where, where I, I do feel that in some ways I'm competing 
with Jesus. And I, and I know that most of you listening right now are probably not actually working in vocational ministry. But I wonder if you ever experiencing, if you ever experience something similar to this. Places in your life where you might actually be competing with Jesus and the kind of work that he actually is very good at. Maybe you're trying to kick an unhealthy habit. Maybe you want to see the poor, the marginalized, the homeless of Ventura loved really well. It's a good thing. Maybe, for example, your marriage is a wreck. Maybe one of you has a secret sin. Maybe if we were to witness one of your fights in in your marriage, uh, it would be mortifying to you. It would be horrible. You'd be embarrassed. Maybe you want to see your marriage restored or brought into a healthier place. and, And you are trying desperately to fix or work hard on these things. And maybe you're just competing With Jesus. Uh, I hope you're tracking with me on, on this. Maybe you should begin to envision what it could look like to allow Jesus to do his incredible work in one of these spaces. Today, I want to do just a simple thing from from the scripture that we're working through today. Uh, I want to just briefly look at the extremely healthy way in which John the Baptist responds to Jesus's presence in his life. Jesus arrives and is is present near John the Baptist. And and we get this window here in John chapter 3. We get this window, this view into how John responds to Jesus doing his good and beautiful work in the world. And the way that John responds is just, I mean, I'll just say it again, it's so healthy. I think it instructs us, it teaches us a few things, and I want to take a look at it today. Again, verse 26 says this, kind of leading into things here. In verse 26, it says that John the Baptist's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, Jesus they're speaking of, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John the Baptist's disciples are absolutely um, irritated. They're bothered. What the heck? Jesus is doing our thing, John. John, I thought we were the baptizing people. That was our thing, John. And look, across the way, Jesus is doing it. I, I mean, I, I get it. I don't know if you've ever been um, in this space. I have absolutely um, had this feeling before where there's someone doing something incredible or beautiful, even good and holy. I've, I've had moments where I've seen people doing something incredible, and my jealousy actually makes me somewhat despise them. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, I'm a musician. And I've definitely had moments where I've seen someone just killing it, singing or playing the guitar, which is something that I do. And I've experienced someone just knocking it out of the park 
uh, playing a beautiful song, and I've despised them. I thought, man, those people suck. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have the audacity to think that they're just the worst because they're doing what I'm supposed to do. This is something like what it seems uh, like John the Baptist's disciples are feeling in this moment here in verse 26. Rabbi, look, Jesus is baptizing, and everyone's going to him instead of us. There's jealousy here. Let's move on. Uh, Verse 27 says, John then answered them. And John the Baptist says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And so here we get a moment to see how John responds to to Jesus's presence in his life. And and this, uh, for me, uh, creates a question. And my, and my, my question is, what have we been given in our lives? What is it that you have? What things in your life have you been given? You, you have gifts and talents. Some of us have, have privilege. Some of us have position and, and different levels of authority that we have been given. Some of us have, have more privilege than others. And and the biblical understanding of this whole reality of things that we have been given is that you you possess only the things that God has given you. This is how John responds. I mean, again, just verse 27 says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. He's he's really giving us just a very quick, this is a biblical worldview on possessions or talents. We only have things that we have been given. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul writes, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? This is funny to me. If you received something, why do you boast or brag as if it wasn't something that was given to you in the first place. This is very sound logic, in my opinion. And and this is the line, this is the idea that that John the Baptist responds immediately with to his disciples asking him, what the heck? Jesus is showing up, He's, he's doing his thing really well. John the Baptist, what do you think about this? And John replies with, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John is just reflecting. Guys, we've been been given so much. Let's consider what we have been given. In in everything that we've been given, it was a gift. We can't act like uh, the thing that we were doing of baptizing people was something that we could brag about. That wasn't ours in the first place. That was something that God gave us. That was a calling on our life that God gave us in the first place. It was a gift. It was a privilege. Everything that we get the privilege to have in this life, everything that we get the privilege to own or possess, even our children uh, that we have in our home, uh, our, our actual home itself, the money we have in our bank accounts, 
the talents that you have, every single one of those things is a gift from the Lord. And we cannot act as if we earned those things or as if um, we can, can brag about it or as if we conjured up that ability within ourselves in the first place. And so this is me trying to begin to wrap my head around. Um, this is John responding to Jesus's presence in his life. The first thing he thinks is, man, everything that we've been doing, it was a gift from the Lord in the first place, which, which just reminds me of the gospel. God gives us everything. We have been given so much in Jesus Christ. We've been in a sense, given the world and what we should do with that. The way that we should respond to that is, is constantly respond with humility and say, you know what, this was a gift. Everything I have in my life is a gift. I can't get upset when someone else steals my thunder, when someone else takes platform or, or a position or an authority and I don't get to. Jesus's presence in our lives ought to bring about this kind of gratitude. Let's continue on verse 28. John the Baptist here still speaking. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Second thing here today, Jesus, sorry, second thing today, John responds to Jesus's presence with an understanding of his own identity. Jesus shows up on the scene and immediately it begins to shape John the Baptist's identity. And this is what Jesus does in our lives. Why would John not be jealous about the crowds going to Jesus? Because they're supposed to go to Jesus. There's actually, if you think about this, there's a fundamental freedom that comes to us when we realize that we're not the center of the universe. This, this shapes our identity in a wonderfully healthy way when we can let go of the fact that, that people don't, at the end of the day, need to come to us. They need to be sent and pointed to, to Jesus. We don't start churches. I, don't, I should not take on the position of, of being a pastor so that people come to me. We start church communities so that people can be pointed and directed towards King Jesus. We're not the hero of the story. I'm not. I am not the main thing. Even in my own life, I am not the Christ. John the Baptist has this very settled within himself. He's not the Christ. He's not the point. But his life is to point others to Christ. I'm simply just a witness. This reality actually should take burden from us. You don't need to save people. It's not you who rescues the weak and the poor and the homeless and the down and out. It's not you even really who conquers your own sin and addiction. Even for yourself, 
You don't need you just to try harder. You need Jesus. You need to point yourself back to Jesus. You need to point your spouse, your children, your community back to Jesus. We so often make the mistake of of giving tons of good advice rather than than pointing and guiding others to the King, to, to King Jesus. The reality for us as believers is that we can, uh, we can constantly come back to this, and it brings us peace. We constantly must come back to, we need Jesus in this space. Yes, I have spiritual gifts. I can be helpful. I can lead. I can minister. I can even see miraculous things happen if I'm faithful um, in my story, but I'm not the point. The point is not me. We don't need people to meet me in my church. We don't need people to meet Pastor Bert in his church. We need um, people to meet Jesus. That is the point of our communities. That needs to be the point of your life. I think you, you get the point that I'm uh, driving at here. Let's continue. Verse 29 says, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love this. John the Baptist here is still responding to this initial complaint from his disciples. Basically saying, what the heck? Jesus is showing us up. And here, John the Baptist is is responding with um, an analogy or a metaphor for how he views um, Jesus' presence in his life. And he's responding with a kind of a wedding um, uh, best man or maid of honor kind of uh, metaphor here. And, and this is something I wanted to share is I'm, I'm actually weirdly passionate uh, about speeches at weddings. I've had this idea. It's probably a terrible idea, but I've had this idea in the past that it would be fun to start a, a business where I help people to write uh, wedding speeches. And the only reason I've ever had this idea is because I've been to so many beautiful weddings where the moment that, a, that a, a maid of honor or the best man, the moment where they stand up and give their speech basically ruins the wedding. <laughs> or, I mean, comes close to ruining the wedding. I mean, I think I actually have seen a wedding ruined because um, of an incredibly selfish speech. Have you ever seen this? If you're a best man or a maid of honor uh, uh, coming up at a, at a wedding, let me just give you some advice here. When you stand up to give a speech, the point of the speech needs to not be about you. It needs to be uh, directing people to, to the beauty of the bride and the bridegroom. And uh, I, too many weddings, yeah, I, I've, you know, uh, 
maid of honor, going on telling stories about herself. Or uh, I've been to, to ones where the, the best man is telling stories about how uh, he got drunk at some weird thing. And you're like, what, what is the point of your story other than to talk about yourself? It's a horrible moment. And I think uh, John the Baptist here knows that that's meant to be the point uh, of a of a best man or a maid of honor, and he's, he's making this point here, that the best man rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Their joy is complete to see the, the wedding taking place, and, but they're standing to the side. The point of the moment of the wedding is for the bride and the bridegroom, not for the best man. They're there as a supporting role, not as the primary central role. And, and he finishes up this, this metaphor with verse 30 saying, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is wonderfully humble. This is what the presence of Jesus ought to do in our lives. It, it ought to make us rejoice to, to make our joy complete as we see that, that Jesus is placed at the center of the story. It, it would make our joy complete. That it actually, uh, as Jesus increases, as we decrease, it, it brings us joy. It actually lifts the weight and the burden of us trying to be the hero of the story of us trying desperately um, to do incredible things in the city or uh, us trying desperately to kick our secret sin or um, addiction, which are good things to, to work towards. But, but when we place ourselves at the center of those stories, it, it actually becomes such a burden. And Jesus wants to carry that burden in your life. So often... We are uh, that terrible um, bridesmaid or, or best man making ourselves the center of the story when that's just not the point. Let's continue. Uh, verse 31. Um, I'm just going to walk through kind of line by line here through verse 36. It says, he who comes from above is above all. This is speaking of, of, of Jesus here. Jesus, who comes from above, speaking of, of this from above is this language of uh, from heaven. Um, Jesus, who comes from above, is above all. It says, he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. This isn't necessarily talking about someone who's sinful, but it's, it's more speaking to just the reality of John the Baptist. He's simply a man. He, he's from the earth and he, he speaks in an earthly way. He's not the son of God. You know, as he said earlier, John the Baptist is not the Christ. And, and so here in verse 31, John, the gospel writer, is, is kind of explaining the tail end of, of this whole um, narrative. He's, he's explaining Jesus he is from above. He is, he is the son of God. He's the Messiah. John the Baptist just a man. Finishing uh, uh, verse 31, it says, he who comes from heaven is above all. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. 
Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Our calling, our response to Jesus's presence in our life is that that we would set our lives. It's like a seal upon our heart that we receive Jesus as Lord. We receive him as our king, as the center of our story, the hero of our story. And as we receive that seal upon our heart, we, we are believing in God, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one sent uh, from above. Verse 34, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. Jesus, sent from God, speaks the words of God. He's not only just a man. Jesus is a man who is God. Again, we're here just kind of over and over again, just differentiating. John the Baptist, just a man. We just are just human beings. We're not the center of the story. But Jesus, sent from God, he speaks the words of God, and we must receive him. Verse 35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And finally, verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The point is to receive Jesus. When we make ourselves the center of the story, when when we often run to trying to fix our own lives, it actually becomes a burden upon ourselves. We're actually not helping anything. We're competing with the work of Jesus in in a sense. It's crazy to me to think that that I could be doing the work of ministry. And, And oftentimes, I believe it's true that I'm working against or competing against Jesus himself. And so often, I need to just receive Jesus, who's who speaks the words of God, who speaks by the Spirit to us, who does incredible, miraculous things. He's incredible at his job. I need to step out of the way and allow Jesus to build his church. Pete Scazzaro, um, author of um, just Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says this, says, God only gave me two or three, perhaps five talents. He did not give me eight or ten. My parents told me uh, that I could be anything I wanted in life, a doctor, musician, professor, writer, a professional athlete. I tried to play basketball like Michael Jordan in high school. It didn't work. We lost most of our games. Yet I, I didn't get the message I could not do anything I wanted. Yes, I had gifts and potential, but I also had limits given to me by God. And those limits are actually a gift. 
We need to receive the, the gift of, of limitations. God has given all of us gifts. He's given us all purpose. And when we can take a hold of the purpose and the identity that God has placed us uh, placed on us, it's actually freedom. When we can receive limitations in our life, we don't do everything. We don't actually um, pay for our own sins. We don't fix everything in our lives. We actually need to submit it over to King Jesus. We need to point others to Jesus primarily rather than directing them back to us. We need to realize that that God has created us all in particular ways. And and the sooner that we realize that we kind of operate in certain lanes and we have these things that God has created us for, the quicker we, we realize those things and allow God to use those gifts in our life and allow God to actually create the limitations on our life or allow those limitations to really be there, the sooner that we realize this, the quicker we will release the burden of so much stress and anxiety that many of us live in. The many things that we want to actually see accomplished of the poor being loved really well, addictions being conquered, marriages being restored, Uh, The many things that we want to see, even in our culture today, the beautiful things that we hope for of justice and peace in our time. I'm not saying give up on those desires. I'm actually saying direct those desires towards Jesus. He's incredible. He can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. My question as I kind of end uh, here today is, what potential spaces in your life are you trying to accomplish something that that Jesus is actually meant to carry for you? What spaces in your life are are you trying really hard to, to, to conquer? But Jesus is actually meant to be the one to conquer it for you or to to actually push it through or or to win, Uh, what spaces do you need to just hand over to Jesus? We need to confess these things to him. Hold out your hands and and let go and and with a symbolic act of of open-handedness, give your striving and your sins and your dreams even over to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. We need to remember to point others to Jesus. Much more of the time we need to point others to Jesus than we need even to give them good advice. I've got some great thoughts. I've got some good ideas and opinions, but, but mainly people need Jesus more than they need me. Mainly uh, people need him who is able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or imagine. I'm going to pray for us. It's been wonderful being with you today. Jesus, we ask for you to work through us. 
We give um, this Anthem Ventura community to you. Jesus, would you bring your power, your miracles, your love, your presence into this community. I pray that it uh, that your presence would uh, w- would hit this community hard, and that it would flow out to those around, to those in the neighborhoods and in the workplaces around the city. Yes, Jesus, we want your presence. We want you to do your work within us. And as as John the Baptist says, we we say it as well, uh, you must increase and we must decrease. It's not a a self-shaming thing, Jesus. We we just want you so incredibly present uh, in our lives that you would would be the thing rising up within us and our own selves uh, being brought lower and lower so that you may do your thing, so that you may do your incredible work in this world. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus, uh, here in Ventura as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. See you soon.